Hello, and you are back with Kent and the steering team for yet another week of fun and frivolity. Of course, this week is not only our part two of our Last of Us part two review, but it is also our three-year anniversary on the show. Happy birthday, Drew. Happy birthday to Kent. Happy not birthday, Philip. And thank you. We, d- we don't know how to how to figure out well we do know how to figure out we just haven't figured out yet where in the birthday calendar bianca sits we'll say about half a year we'll just say that for now yeah we'll you'll figure yeah. it out later yeah, yeah we'll work it out <laughs> but happy um, birthday bianca happy birthday yeah. guys congratulations <laughs> thank you very i remember much. Good, good to be I, here. I remember philip telling me oh yeah we recorded a podcast don't listen to it but this is what it's called um and yeah <laughs> and now here we are and now here we're we still are. in the Still in the phase of telling people, uh, maybe don't listen to it because it's not that great. No, it's great. It's good. It's what we love to do. Um, it's good fun. All in the name of the fun. Um, however, unfortunately for this 300... 300? Not not yet. 156th episode. 156th episode, our third birthday episode. Um, Kent's not here. Kent can't be with us this week. Ugh. He's actually got his head buried in the sand, avoiding any more spoilers to do with The Last of Us Part 2. And I also, yeah, not just because he doesn't want to hear that, but also because he really doesn't give a shit about that game. Anyway, on with the show. <laughs> um, okay, team. Yes. So we got this. We got this. We're going to keep it much shorter than we did last week because we've got some other things that we're going to talk about as well. Um, so I think we should, without further ado, jump straight back into The Last of Us Part 2. We'll get through the story for you in hopefully about 20 minutes and then we can rattle on from there with some other bits and pieces for you. So, shall we pick it up from where we were last time? And that is at the start of Abby's story. Let's go, let's um, go, let's go. Let's go. So, Abby's story, we pick it back up again. We're in um, Salt Lake City now, several years earlier. Um, in fact, seven years or something like that. Five years earlier. I don't know. Who cares? Several years earlier. Basically, just before the surgery is supposed to happen with Ellie. Now, what's critical about this thing is that we're Abby, and she's a young girl, and she's not as hench as she is in the game. Um, and she's wandering around aimlessly in this forest, can't find her dad, still trying to look for a dad. And then there's her father right in front of her. And as they walk forward, they get further and further into the forest and then they find a zebra. So then they get to be the best people on the planet. Um, nothing like the entire story arc we've seen at all before um, that Abby kind of carries out, basically killing Joel and being a piece of shit. Um, no, we get to see her and her father rescue this poor helpless zebra so that happens we meet someone named owen (laughs) and then the game goes forward turns out we're in salt lake city there it is you see the hospital and all that happens um thing that i mentioned last week happens with marlene and um abby's father having the discussion about would you do it if it was your daughter with him not being able to answer the question because of course he wouldn't because he's gutless and he's pathetic and he obviously doesn't care because it's ellie and he has no relation to ellie you don't kill a child i'm really like just quickly i know we said we wouldn't do this but you mentioned it and now it's annoying me again it's a child mm. like i i keep comparing it to coronavirus could you imagine if we found out like over 700 i don't know a lot of people have died from coronavirus it's a very large number i can't remember it off the top of my head now but like Imagine if we found out, okay, all of those people can be cured. Like, every single person with coronavirus could be cured. We just have to sacrifice this one child. I don't think... I think the world would have a very difficult time yeah, and they, coming to terms with that. And they made this decision in one afternoon. So... Mm. 
And again, this this father, it wasn't his child, so he was like, no, I don't have a problem doing it because it's not my child. And again, he never got a chance to answer it because Abby walked in and then Abby made the decision for him and said, if it was me, do it. It's so much easier said than done. And it's not the real situation you can say anything. It's like I can turn around right now and say, I'll happily be sacrificed for you guys. When it really comes to it, I don't know if I'd really be going through <laughs> that. I think I'd be like, well, now the pressure's on. I think I got stage fright and I don't want to do that. Um... Okay. Right. You said you would. Well, we'll see. Well, Abby said she would. Anyway, so that happens, um, and basically they don't go through it as we know. Um, a constant theme throughout Abby's entire story is we have flashbacks to her walking into the um, uh, the theatre, uh, surgery room, the theatre, um, and we find her father dead on the ground or blood or whatever. But that's Which a, current, is what uh, a consistent thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, so then we go back to waking up on day one in Seattle. So back when Ellie's story in Seattle started. And Abby, we walk through the WLF um, headquarters which or compound, which is in the stadium in Seattle. It's an awesome base. There's a fantastic gym. They get food provided for them in the cafeteria. They've got, you know, plants and animals and, you know, they've got food and everything like that. They're, they're set. They, these guys are set. I would love a game based solely on this being your base and Seattle being the place to explore. Unfortunately, we got two completely different stories sandwiched into one, and so they're both half-assed. So you really <laughs> don't see much of this place. <coughs> Excuse me. So uh, there anyway, are we go really, off. And... Like just quickly, there are really great, interesting conversations that happen around that base. And yeah, you told me one of them. Yeah, there's one about Harry Potter. Um, they talk about Harry Potter a lot in it, um, and they talk about. See, the... I still didn't find that on my second playthrough. Yeah, it's in. You know where like you can get your clothing from. Hmm. It's down that side. Um, they talk about it. Yeah, I walked, to, I walked around to everyone. I do, anyway, anyway, I didn't hear it. Um, yes, so we go off. decide to go off on a uh, patrol um, with Manny, who we don't know much about other than that turns out this is the guy that spat on Joel's dead body and said Pandejo because he is um, Mexican and he has... No other, for a game all about breaking down stereotypes, this guy is probably the most stereotypical character in the entirety of the Last of Us series, game one and two. This guy is the most stereotypical, and this game is about breaking stereotypes. So, tell me, I think the Mexicans were shafted on this one. Um, <laughs> basically, Manny is a occasional, in, occasional Spanish-speaking, basically throwing in halfway through sentences the odd kind of key Spanish word. Um, he, um, is all about sex. He don't, he doesn't do anything else but talk about like sex and like flirting with women and being kind of like suave and, you know, cool like that. Um, and yep, that's basically, he doesn't, he doesn't like to do much. He likes to be quite lazy a lot of the time when he's not working. So you tell me if that's not a stereotype of a Mexican. Um, anyway. So actually, we go I never thought her- about that part of it. You're actually quite... Yeah, it's not a very nice stereotype that they're painting here. This guy, all he wants to do is drink, watch TV, and do not much else, and he's always pissed off when he has to do work. Like, that's pretty disrespectful. Anyway, so, that's what happens there. We also go off with Mel, who, um, at the very beginning of the game, we found out is pregnant by Owen, Um, and as we saw in Ellie's version of the story, gets killed by Ellie. Okay, so the three of them are... Heavily pregnant, and also we learn that she is one of the best surgeons in the entire WLF, so you tell me why she's off on patrol. But anyway, they do, we get to play with their dog, Alice, who you will have met earlier, and that is when it came bounding over you, at you, you heard me, Drew, bounding <laughs> over, yeah, very aggressively, straight at us, 
um, trying to rip our jugular out. Uh, ferocious, vicious dog. You get to play with this completely new dog, also named Alice, the same dog, who is the most friendly, sweetest, kindest dog. You get to throw balls to it. Um, you get to play with other dogs. Like, man, this Abby that we're seeing here is a completely different person. There is no evilness whatsoever in this person. This person that would happily beat someone to death with the golf club doesn't exist here. She's the most lovely person. Um, we also get a fantastic loadout of guns. Way better guns than we ever had with Ellie. Way better guns. Um, we go off on our patrol. We get um, ambushed by the Seraphites, the Scars, um, who we now are learning and continue to learn. There is a serious war between the two factions. Um, are, we then yeah, they get... both inhabit Seattle, but the <coughs> Scars tend to stay to their own island. Yeah. Or so um, but are slowly think. Yeah. But they're slowly creeping back out again. Um we learn that oh, sorry, we get bunkered down in a um a hardware store, we find lots of loot, lots of um pills in order to upgrade ourselves and our skills. We find better weapon um upgrades as well. Turns out Abby, compared to Ellie, is the best character to ever roam the Last of Us world. Like holy shit. Ellie is Ellie and Joel are both garbage in comparison to Abby. I'm so disappointed in some ways that we ever had to play as these much better characters and instead didn't just play as this hench, fucking shallow, awful, evil bitch of a person because they are way, way better in every way possible in the game. Gameplay, like they exactly I have what to you say, want. Abby is a lot more oh, fun Oh, Abby's to play. the best. Abby's the best character in The, the Last of Us. And it's clearly because... Of, um, Neil Druckmann, because he wasn't the sole writer and creator and was actually reined in on the first game with some of his terrible ideas, because Bruce Straley, who co-wrote the first game, has left Naughty Dog, it means that Neil Druckmann got to go full-on with his terrible ideas, and this is one of them. Basically undermine everything that was good about the last game, basically, is done in this game. So good on you, um, Neil Druckmann. You basically shut on everything continuously, including making this character the best character to ever roam The Last of Us. Uh, okay, we get out of the hardware store, we um, um, get back to a nubble, another WLF base, we speak to Isaac, who is the leader of the WLF. We also learn that a character named um, Danny, who we have literally zero idea who the fuck they are, but you're meant to care because Abby is absolutely crushed by the death of this person. We've never met them before, but we're crushed by it, okay everyone, be crushed by it. The writing of this game is telling you that you must be crushed at this moment and feel absolute pity and sadness for Abby because her friend Danny, who we've never met before, is dead. So everyone be sad here. Be sad. Take a moment to be sad. <laughs> sad be sad. face. Sad face. Um, it is also really weird because like, it, it's a very confusing scene, that one. Um, very briefly in response. Because it's like you find out that Danny's dead you find out that you're going there because you, you think you're joining a war because there's injured. But then you find out Danny's dead and then you find out... No, no. Then you find out that I, Isaac... Owen. Yeah. Danny's dead and Owen is the cause of it. Owen shot Danny. And then you find out that Isaac wants you for a special mission. And it just all comes out of nowhere. Like, it's all bang, bang, bang happens. And I get very coincidental that somehow Danny's dead just as we get there, so on and so forth. Um, you have an issue with the fact the underuse of the actor who played Isaac? Yeah, Jeffrey Wright plays Isaac, and if you're going to get an actor like Jeffrey Wright to come in and play a character, I think he's in, like, two scenes. He's in that one and one other. Yep. And it was just, like, 
and they're not even like fully fleshed out scenes. They're both just kind of, he doesn't actually play the antagonist to Abby, which is just a bit of a nobody. Yeah, he is. He's just such a side character. And like the only thing that you really find out about from him is the fact that he and Abby both torture the Seraphites who, in fact, Abby is um, Isaac's number one Seraphite killer. Yeah. Again, it's another reason why everyone should absolutely love Abby. Like, listen to this writing. She has all the best guns. She has all the best loadouts. She plays with really friendly dogs. She's got an awesome base. Um, she is the number one Seraphite killer, so she's pure badass. Like, come on, what's not to like about her here? Like, it almost feels like you're being forced to like somebody that just brutally murdered one of your favorite characters in a video game for no apparent reason to you because everyone's a bad person. And who gives a shit about revenge in this world? It's not worth it, right? But somehow, this is exactly what Abby's doing. It's almost like... So basically, the overarching story of this game is um, that revenge is bad and break the cycle of revenge. Yet Abby seems to be constantly breaking that rule and the moral of the story and dishing out revenge and so on and so forth and being a piece of shit and a garbage person. Um, And, you know, it just means that... uh, Ellie's story is completely pointless because there's a complete opposite here that you're meant to love. See, and I don't get this about the game. You're meant to fucking love Abby, but you're also meant to hate her because she's literally... The reason for her existence is for you to hate her because she's doing the exact opposite of the moral of the story. So I don't understand why people that like the game are defending Abby as a likable character when she is intentionally written to not be a likable character, while at the same time they've written her to also be a likable character by trying to give her all the best stuff. Like, it just... It, this game just doesn't make sense. It's very poorly written fan fiction. It was also... Honestly. It, it was genuinely annoying playing with Abby because I had... I didn't care about her. Yeah, I had zero... I enjoyed her gameplay. I think it was, like, some of the best out of both games. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't enjoy playing Abby. And no, I because I didn't stories. care about her. And I often, yeah. when I would just get the shits because, like, I wasn't doing things right, I'd just kill her. I think it's... Because it was funny. Yeah, I think this is the most times I've died. And, like, I'm not that great of a game player, so, like, I, I die often. But, like, I think this is the most times I've died ever in a game because I was just doing it on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, back to the story. So we know we through a flashback that Owen and Abby like to hang out at the aquarium. Um, uh, as we know, that's where Abby... So that's where Ellie is heading, um, either there or the marina, basically. Um, so as Abby, we make our way to the aquarium. Um, now, Manny helps us half the way there. Then he doesn't anymore because we walk into one of his sex dungeons, basically, of sorts, um, and find a hilarious note and basically says, I'm going to stay behind. So Abby goes off on her own to go after Owen. Oh, on the way there, though, we bump into two Seraphite kids. Um, basically in a situation where we're being No, we get, you get captured. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But that's, where we meet, that's where we meet these kids, because we are being hung um, from a, or hanged, basically, and then there is a Seraphite girl on the ground that gets her arm broken severely with a hammer. Um, yeah, like, Jesus Christ. Um, and then that another kid, an, another Seraphite kid from out in the forest. This is in the middle of the night, by the way, so it's terrifying. Um starts shooting um, or firing arrows off at the Seraphites who have captured um, us two, me and this other Seraphite girl. And uh, then this other child comes out, Lev, his name is, um, cuts us down. We then 
you know, I think it's bodyguard style, pick up this other girl, Yara, who's had her arm broken, and carry her. Um, we escape, basically. Um, fight ensues along the way. We learn a little bit more about them. They are, in fact, Seraphites or Scars, as Abby very rudely continues to call them to the face, despite the fact that they constantly say, we're Seraphites, not Scars. Stop calling us that. And she keeps saying Scars because she's a bitch. Um, and uh, then we leave them behind in a um, shipping container yard um, caravan, um, nice and safe. It's a mountable building, nice and safe there. And we head off for um, uh, Owen, and then we find Owen. And when we find Owen, we say, "What the hell are you doing here?" And then have, which is very out of character for Sony because they have a no sex policy in their games. We very have probably one of the most sex. very graphic sex, um, doggy style um, over the counter on board um, Owen's yacht, which is parked in the aquarium. Backstory found these people that had been living in this place or found the remnants of um, these people that had been living in the aquarium and they had a yacht so um, or a sailing boat. <clears throat> but the boat was so, broken, so it wouldn't go. Yeah, so it turns out Owen's fixing this boat because he wants to get away. He doesn't have much to say about the old Danny thing other than um, Abby, bend over, let me fuck you. And yes, that's what happens. They do that. Um, then Abby wakes up the next day, day two. Um, we played day two as Ellie, remember? So here we are, day two. We go back to get the kids because we feel guilty. Look at this. The first time Abby's ever felt remorse. We do get back to the kids. We go to bring them back. Turns out um, Yara's arm is just awful, awful state. Really infected. Really infected. So we go and get the kids. We manage to um, bodyguard style carry them to the aquarium where then it's decided that Surgery's going to need to be done. Turns out Mel's now arrived, coincidentally. How coincidental is that? Talk about Deus Ex Machina. So there is um, Mel there who happens to be the best bloody surgeon. And then, okay, to do the surgery, I need to get me X, Y, and Z. Yara can't go, obviously. So then um, Abby and Lev go off on this adventure through Seattle back the other way. We end up at the hospital. Coincidentally, later this day, in fact, this is where... Um, uh, uh, what's her face is going to be ellie's going to be here um we then go through the hospital because we have escaped and isaac didn't want us going after owen turns out we get captured while lev's hiding off in the distance somewhere um lev if you don't know is a transgender boy um and so obviously in his religious cult isn't accepted that's the whole reason they're on the run um it's the reason why his head is shaved he's broken all these rules bad things are going to happen if they go back to their island because they are basically they've got a hit out on them to be killed because they are escapees and totally blasphemous to their entire beliefs so yeah, that's the story behind that run through the wlf to get out of the city and yeah so that's where this whole kind of clash happens but what i find funny is well not funny but interesting is that I don't think it's ever posed but like if they went and asked the wlf for help i'm pretty sure they would have just been killed and I don't think yes. that's, like, a good organisation to live with. No. Again, they're not good people. But, again, they kill Seraphites for fun, for sport. Abby is not a good person. Neither is Isaac. Neither is any of these people. But, anyway, we're meant to love them because they are really cool. Because they're, like, they're like nice guys. Because they're really cool people, even though they're the worst people. Um, okay, so we get to the hospital. We then um, get freed by our friend Nora, I think her name is. I can't remember. Um, who yeah, helps us. Later in the day, we kill her as Ellie, um, and somehow Ellie's heartbroken by this, despite the fact that she's killed about 4,000 people in the lead-up to killing this person. 
anyway, we um, get freed by Nora. We go and explore the hospital um, as Abby. We have to get down to the emergency ward, which is on the ground level. That is ground zero in this city of Seattle for the infection. We get down there and holy fuck, there is infection everywhere. It is unbelievable and like oh my god again because um, it's abby is actually one of the best like sequences and gameplay in the game like that entire mm-hmm. thing and how spooky it was and how like oh terrifying it, it is it is the first game's most terrifying scene turned up to 11 um at one point you have to turn a generator on because of course you do it's in the basement basically um and uh you see this really behind these doors this revolting kind of tunnel of fungus which is made up of bodies and bits and pieces and it looks like it looks like yeah and it looks like it's like a pool of blood behind kind of a wall you can kind of just see into it a little while later you come back to this part and it turns out something has come out of there there's a blood trail on the floor leading into the way that you have to go um and then you follow this path of blood and destruction basically and you're in the basement, and you find an ambulance there which has medical supplies, the last thing remaining with medical supplies, so you pick up the supplies, and then you hear something behind you. And it turns out it is the mother of all infected. It is the biggest, baddest infected thing you've ever seen. It is a mix of all the different kinds of infected stuck together. There are about six or seven people merged into one giant blob. It's basically a bloater, a shambler, um, a clicker, a runner and a stalker all blended into one mega fucking thing it is unbelievable and you have a really difficult fight with this thing yes do you know where the theory do you know what it's called it's called the rat king and do you know why it's called the rat king no why because if you put all rats into a bucket and like they're just there they start panicking and they'll chase like try and get out and chase each other and what happens when you get massive groups of rats in the same area? Their their tails actually knot together, and they become this one thing. And it it's called the Rat King, basically. Um, cause, Makes sense. Yeah. So that whole thing, it's just because the fungus grows in the game, and that's how the infection spread. The fungus has basically bound all of them together because they're stuck in this room together, and yeah it was um it was hectic that scene was scary as definitely hectic the most difficult thing to kill in the entire game takes ages um eventually you do kill it you get out of the hospital with your medical supplies you get back to the aquarium um surgery happens the next morning um it's agreed that they're all going to head off the kids and the three um wlf are going to head off on the sailing boat since it's ready to go until mel approaches abby and says if you're going I'm not, you know, um, go fuck yourself, you're a terrible person. Abby is completely heartbroken and blindsided by it. I mean, she just fucked this girl's, this pregnant woman's boyfriend um, without her knowing. Like, man, Abby was totally blindsided by this insult, which (laughs) she didn't deserve. She's a terrible person, but she didn't didn't deserve to be told that by someone who is a very decent human being. Um, Anyway, so that happens... Um, Yara's then recovering straight after Yara's recovered, like, as in she's just woken up from her surgery. I don't know about you, but I take a little while to recover from general anesthetic, but somehow Abby is, um, sorry, Yara is completely fine. Mm. Turns out Lev has escaped because, um, they wanted to obviously go off with 
these three WLF onto their boat and disappear somewhere else, Santa Barbara, I believe. Um, Lev has decided to go back and get their mum from the Seraphite Island. That's a disaster because there is about to be a war. Isaac is sending all the troops to the, w to the um, Seraphite Island to burn it to the ground and kill everyone there. Because why not? On command so, from, now, <clears throat> uh, who's the leader again? Isaac? Yeah, Isaac. Yeah, on command said to do that. So then Yara, who is just recovering from surgery, and um, Abby then decide to go off and get Lev back. Um, just before we leave, though, the two Seraphite kids are obviously petrified of dogs because all they've seen of them are the WLF dogs, which are vicious, evil fucking maniacs. Um, but no, they get to play with the dog, and and, and uh, Alice get to throw the toy for Alice. Alice is wonderful. Anyway, off we go. We go and get to the um, Seraphite Island. We sneak around everything, basically, and then um, it's pretty cool. It's like old-timey kind of, you know, Amish-style living, fr real frontier kind of stuff. We eventually find um, Lev. Turns out Lev's mum, as we all knew would happen, tried to kill Lev because Lev is um, a rule-breaker and basically disowned um <clears throat> and lev is upset and sad anyway we, we walk fair. on get on through here which is fair enough but you know we could have told you that was going to happen because your mum doesn't like you and tried to kill you before this anyway that's why you escaped because you weren't accepted but okay whatever <clears throat> you thought going back another time would change your mind her, her mind um we get to a point where then yara runs out ahead of us and then yara gets shot by a wlf who is on the island obviously um, we all scream like, oh my god, Yara's been shot, you know, Lev, you basically got your sister shot by putting us into this situation. And then out walks Isaac as Abby tries to protect Yara from getting shot again. Isaac then sees Lev and Yara being protected by Abby. They have a confrontation. Isaac says, move aside and let me shoot Lev. We got to the count of three. Deus Ex Machina, obviously, and Yara turns out she's not dead, shoots. Isaac dead, and then they all, all the other WLF around, shoot um, Yara to death, basically. Um, and then we run off with Lev, and Lev is heartbroken and everything like that. Um, Abby then kills um, a whole bunch of uh, WLF throughout the next gameplay scene. Um, at the end of that next gameplay scene, we get to the next cutscene, and at that point, then Lev decides to call out the fact that Abby killed that one WLF member just before Isaac walked in, the person that shot um, Yara first. Abby shoots her to death, the person to death, and then um, that's when Isaac walks in. So Lev decides, despite the fact that we've just killed about 14 WLF people in the gameplay sequence, decides to reference the fact that we shot that one WLF way back at that cutscene despite what just happened. So, you see, that's, this is what I mean and what I meant last time by there's a disconnect between the, the, the gameplay and story writers and the gameplay writers in that we do one thing and it doesn't mean anything and then we get something that happened in the last cutscene gets referenced. It's like, what just fucking happened, Lev? Did you miss me killing all those people just then? Breaking their neck, um, shooting them, drowning them. Did you miss all of that? And are talking about that one person back when Yara got killed? Like, mate, that was like half an hour ago. What the fuck are you talking about? Anyway, we then eventually escape off the island in a dramatic um, horse chase and punch up with one of the behemoth people that we face in this game. Um, we get back to the aquarium. When we get back to the aquarium, it turns out that there has been a 
the dog's dead. Abby finds Mel and um, Owen dead. dead. And then we find a map on the floor, the map that I mentioned last time, very coincidentally and conveniently left in the pool of blood. We see that there's a big, nice circle around the theater on the map. So we head there. And now where's Abby still? So now we get to play this scene, the scene that we saw last time from Ellie's point of view as Abby. We shoot Jesse. Um, yeah. We hold um, uh, Tommy as hostage before shooting Tommy through the neck. And um, uh, so that happens. Oh, I might mention just before this, just earlier on in this, as we were heading towards the, the um, Seraphite Island, we had to get a boat. So as Abby, we're running around, we hide Yara off to the side, and we bump into our friend Manny. So as Manny mm. and Abby try and run through the marina and escape, we do know from playing as um, Ellie and Tommy, uh, sorry, and Jesse earlier that there is a sniper at the marina. Turns out it's Tommy, and we're trying to hunt down Tommy. Until finally, Tommy goes and snipes Manny straight through the head and blows his brains out in one of the most satisfying scenes in the entire game. So fuck yeah, go Tommy. Anyway, back to the scene that we're talking about in the theatre. Ellie and um, Abby then have a fight, basically a little bit like in the first game where you're running away from David. We're doing that again in this one. Um, we're having to sneak around quietly and this time it's Ellie that you're sneaking away from or trying to sneak up on. That happens, they have a big fight, big punch on so on and so forth. We get to a point where um, Dina then intervenes. Um, Ellie's a pile of blood, basically, her face smashed in on the floor. Abby picks up Dina and holds the knife to Dina's throat and is about to slit it. And then Ellie says, no, don't. She's pregnant. And Abby says, obviously, because Abby's a piece of shit. Good. Mm. So goes to slash um, Dina's throat. But then fortunately, deus ex machina, this is when Lev walks in and says, no, don't, Abby. So then Abby goes, okay, and doesn't. Um, the next scene is a bit of a bullshit kind of fake happy story fairy tale scene as, um, Ellie, we have now got a baby with us and Dina, as Bianca mentioned last week, a very convenient way of having an Insta family for a lesbian couple. And we have that. We're living on a farmhouse exactly as Dina dreamed of. She won a lot of money as we learned from the bank scene at the very start of this entire adventure. This is what she'd do with all the money. So this is what we're doing. So of course... Tommy then, as a cripple, basically, a disabled man, walks in dragging his leg um, with half his face droopy. It's like he's had a stroke because of the injuries sustained um, through getting shot in the neck. We learn that his life has fallen apart. Maria, his wife, has left him. They're having some time apart. Um, and Tommy has learnt that there is someone very hench with a boy um, with scars on their face down in Santa Barbara. Hey, Ellie, you promised me you'd go, you'd go after her if we found out about anything based on what happened to me and Jesse and Joel and everything. You said that you'd finish this, and Ellie said, yes, I would. Dina says, don't do it. Ellie says, I'm going to do it. Dina says, okay, well, I leave you then if you do that. And Ellie said, okay, and then disappeared and went to it. So then we go to Santa Barbara for the epilogue of the game. Um, remember, Ellie's entire story has been around... I'm going to get revenge. I'm not going to go back with Dina or to get Tommy and get Dina and get the fuck out of Seattle. I'm getting revenge, 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 revenge. Okay, as Abby, we play um, running through a, a street in Santa Barbara, finding a outpost, which we believe is where Fireflies were. We do find that outpost. We radio call until we get someone on the other end saying, where, where are you? We'll come and get you then. Easy. We're going to find you. 
And then we get attacked by um, Fat Geralt and his gang of cronies. I can't remember what they're called. The, the Rattlers or something like that. Um, who are a bunch of misfits down here in, in Seattle. Um, scavengers, basically. Uh, sorry, in Santa Barbara. So we're captured. Then we play as Abby, uh, sorry, as Ellie, who then finds the exact scene that we're at and eventually finds where um, Abby has been taken as a captive. We raid the entire base. Um, we find someone that's being held prisoner and say, have you seen someone called Abby or that is a hench or something like that? And they say, yeah, she's been taken down to the beach where she's basically being crucified on a cross. So we say, oh my God, no. So then we stumble through there we've been wounded by something earlier it's irrelevant but we've been wounded basically essentially fatally but somehow in this game not fatally um so we're stumbling along to the beach where we find lev up on a cross being crucified and we find abby on a cross being crucified and they're both within an inch of their their life so basically as revenge goes looking at them laughing and turning around walking away is revenge and i'd happily see the credits roll no, instead, Ellie decides to cut them both down in order so that she can be the one to kill Abby, despite the fact she's about to die. And they have a fight in shallow waters of the beach, um, constantly fighting. Ellie's about to drown um, Abby. Abby manages to get free, bites off Ellie's two fingers that she uses to play guitar. So there we go. We can no longer have a connection to what Joel gave us, basically, because... We can't play guitar anymore, so Ellie's any chance of memory of, of Joel is over now because those fingers are gone. Um, we then continue to try and drown her again. Um, this time we're about to make it happen, and we see a cutscene. Um, by the way, that scene that we saw in the trailer, the one that we were referencing at the very start of the game that we don't get to see, we finally get to see that. That finally happened just before we got to Santa Barbara. That's when we see it. Um, we go back to a, uh, a cutscene from that same night of the party, <clears throat> and um, Ellie and Joel decide to be friends again, and let's move forward, let's try and make this happen. Again, it makes it even worse as to you, when you know that Joel's just been killed. makes it even worse, because um, we knew that they were about to start something fresh. Okay, so then as Ellie, again, we get back to this moment, and we decide, you know what? Let's set Abby free, because I don't know why. But let's set her free. So Ellie lets her go. And that's it. That's the end of the game. We then see Ellie as in a cutscene get back to the house, where which she had with Dina. And Dina and the baby are gone. Ellie then leaves behind her guitar because she can't play anymore. And she walks off into the sunset. And that's it. That's the end of the game. We didn't get revenge. We got fucking nothing. This game was pointless. The entire story of Ellie in this entire game was pointless. Um... Okay, so now I guess we get to our final summations of the game. I've got mine written down here because it's, it's a little bit long, but it's okay. Yep. So, The Last of Us Part 2 is the sequel to my favourite game of all time. It's a sequel, so it's held to higher standing. The company behind it actively chose to create another piece of the story to what was a 10 out of 10 game. That means they believed they had something worthy of its predecessor. They thought wrong. They didn't have something to rival the first. In fact, they broke two sacred rules in making a sequel. Don't shit on the past and don't change the past. They completely changed the characters, their personalities, their morals, their ethics. 
They added new characters purely to outdo the old one. That's literally the whole point of Abby was to outdo the old ones. Um, they tried to make us feel guilty for liking the characters um, that they made us feel sorry for. Um, you know, like play throughout the entire first game. Um, you know, you know what I mean? Like they, they made us feel guilty for liking these players, as in Ellie and Joel, that we played the entire first game as. They wanted us to feel guilty for liking them by seeing how good the world could be if there were people like Abby in it. Um, people may argue that the old characters were never good. I never said they were. Um, but based off the first game, you can definitely see that they weren't any, um, any worse than anyone else in the world. They all did bad things. They did a lot of things to survive. Um, you could argue that the old characters have changed because it's been years since the last game, and I wouldn't say that they haven't, um, or that they shouldn't. I think that they definitely should have changed since the last game. People don't change their fundamental morals, though, just because time has passed. That's not what changes their morals. Even though we saw what happened with Ellie finding out and everything like that, that doesn't change your morals, and that's what happened here. Um, they completely changed the characters, um, their personalities, their morals, their ethics. Um, like I said, they added um, yeah, new characters and stuff like that, and you know, made purely desi designed to shit on the old ones, and I think that was really wrong of the game. The story is plot hole riddled. Um, it was objectively weak. Weak compared to the first one and weak compared to anything else. Um, it's a very lackluster, overused, trope-filled story. Um, uh, it uses overused plot devices. Um, and yeah, the main objective of the story is definitely over overused. It's revenge. Um, they then backflipped the entire plot at the very last second because revenge is bad. Uh, shame on you for thinking that basically the entire game, but that isn't the problem. The problem is that at least 15 out of the 25 hours of gameplay lead us and shapes us to be seeking revenge only for 5 minutes um, to expect us to change our mind on this idea. So the entire game basically, or, or the majority of the game is designed around revenge, and at the last second they change our mind and expect us to be okay with that. It doesn't make sense, and if anyone tries to tell me that 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 is the entire point of the game, that it's not meant to make sense, you're a fucking idiot, and you're just giving into shit writing. Um, if anyone makes the point that the world isn't perfect, um, and doesn't make sense sometimes, you're, as I've written here, a flat-out fucking moron because you've just been played and totally own it. You may as well huff Neil Druckmann's fart straight from his asshole <laughs> because you'll clearly, gladly, eat any of that shit up. You may think that you're smarter than I am because you like the game, or that you're more woke than I am, but that's absolutely not the point whatsoever. You are just eating up shit writing. Um, my next paragraph says, To have had moments which were meant to be poignant um, and intense caused me to laugh out loud means it took itself too seriously without giving justification to have. Um, yeah. Basically, there are moments in the game I laughed at, which I shouldn't have, which were meant to be serious moments. I laughed at them because they were fucking funny, because I didn't take it seriously. Um, it didn't command respect, as it shambolically made its way um, from overused, predictable, weak plot device to the next. Everything was way too convenient. Everything was divine intervention too many times. A bit of Deus Ex Machina is fine, but this game may as well have been titled The Last of Us Part 2 Deus Ex Machina. You can't have poignancy if I could smell it a mile out. Lazy attempts at winning us over to like villains isn't clever. It's lazy. Having sneaky, well-crafted, natural moments 
um, which make us sympathize with a villain and begin to fight with ourselves as, as to whether or not we like them is clever. Guess which one this game was. Not Definitely clever. not not the smart one whatsoever. Um, friendly side characters who are total arseholes to a different character, extra skills, extra weapons, better loot, better upgrades, better side characters. That's not clever. That's weak and that's lazy. That is not the studio who brought us some of the most believable, well-crafted, interesting side characters with hidden depth and enough meat on the bone to support a standalone game based entirely around them, all found in the first game. This can't have come from the same studio. The gameplay isn't for everyone, and I wouldn't expect everyone to love it. It's not unique. It's overused in the industry. There are several games that do melee, um, fighting and combat better than this game. There are thousands of, um, sorry, there are hundreds of games that do stealth better than this game, and there are thousands of games that do shooting better than this game does. The crafting and upgrades, although impressive to watch, aren't particularly special. The AI is stupid. Yes, you can uniquely adjust elements of them um, add it through the difficulty settings, which I think is a great idea. Um, but there are other many games. There are many games that do that much better. But I think that this game brings all the elements together just right, in a kind of Goldilocks way. It's kind of this is perfect. Um, it's the best of what we want in the best combination. The graphics are next-gen, they outrank what should be available on the PlayStation 4. Um, this game has definitely squeezed every little bit of ability out of the PS4. Um, the world that has been created, the textures, the details, the beauty alone, this game is perfect. This game, for its graphics, gets a 10 out of 10. For its gameplay, to me, subjectively, gets a 10 out of 10. For its story, um, those two elements equal... 5 out of 10 so far. So this is where we're at 5 out of 10 as a combined score, story versus gameplay and graphics. It's 5 out of 10, 10 out of 10 for both of those categories. For its story, it feels like the gameplay director and the story writers and directors never sat down once together and asked what the other were doing. They never looked at each other's work. This falls on the writers of the story because they are the ones that created the overarching tale and all the elements to it. So they're the ones that failed. They were in charge. They wasted the talent and probably literally the lives of all the art team and animators. Their world is let down by one of the weakest, plot hole ridden, riddled stories I've ever seen created. It had a lot to live up to, and it absolutely failed. It's like this game beat the first one and all its praise and glory to death with a golf club. That's not being a crybaby because Joel died, which again I have no problem with. It just happens way too early and for no reason. We do learn the reasons later on, but it happens too soon. We don't get to grow any attachment to Abby, and we never do because of this. As a new player for this game, if you never played the first one, you would never have grown an attachment to Joel, so you wouldn't care. The first game showed you how to kill someone early, and that was Sarah at the start of the first game. This game didn't do that with Joel. For the story... This game gets 0 out of 10. It brings its final score to 5 out of 10. It gets marked harsher because it's a sequel. It failed. It gets marked harder because it's a Naughty, Go Naughty Dog game, and they've never made a bad game. They failed. They failed to respond to actual criticism and cast it off as, in inverted commas here, only being from bigots. Despite owning the fact that the game wasn't to be liked for everyone, they said that, 
and it was praised universally by critics when it shouldn't have and bombed when it came to being marked by the people and somehow that's everyone being bigots they lied to the game or they lied about the game in its marketing they suppressed reviews of the game people couldn't review half the story some people lost their copies or access to the game for being honest they were going to give it a bad score they masked and hid terrible storytelling behind issues like transgender homosexuality and physical uh, physically strong women that is so weak to do that and mask it all as political gains or being woke and not addressing the criticism so they failed the game failed its creative team the game was failed by the writing team and its arrogance no fan service was required but to actively reverse the entire work that gave you or gave us the game and gave you naughty dog the fan base in the first place is an insult the last of us part two failed now i'm going to read you some quotes here um one is from neil Druckmann, and one is from someone on reddit who i think summed it up perfectly now i read this quote last week and i'm going to read it again to you the last of us is about these two characters joel and ellie specifically all i ask of you is the fans the first one put some faith in us trust us we're going to do right by them neil Druckmann said that he did not do right by the fans you fucked up a great idea and world this quote comes from someone on reddit mirai zero zero is their name this game is literally built on lies false advertising failed and rejected ideas hours and hours of crunch and uses political uh, sorry and uses politics as a shield for criticism how could anyone think it's a masterpiece this game gets five out of ten for me because it's earned five out of ten it gets ten for its graphics gets ten for its gameplay gets zero for its story because not only is it an objectively weak story it undoes everything that made the first game great and made the hype for this game possible it gets zero to Bianca. So that was intense to listen to because I know you've been building, <laughs> holding that in for ages. And every time yeah. I wanted to say something, I was just like, uh, uh, uh. Um, I think you said it pretty well in a lot of ways, but I think like my frustration with it is because I come from it from a person who genuinely loves games that build myth, mm. like mythos and uh, all these like rules and thing mm-hmm. and, and I think I, I one of the things that you said really stuck out to me was the fact that in the first game everyone did what they had to do to survive mm-hmm. they did bad things but they did it because like they were Joel and Tess in the first game were underneath a corrupt government and they couldn't really get out from underneath it um so they did what they had to um to get on with life like it was a violent world um this game just i i i don't have a problem with joel dying and i I want to make that very clear i think i actually was thinking when i was like watching the trailers and stuff for it all that if this is going to shine as an ellie game joel has Mm -hmm. to be sacrificed Mm -hmm. um that I completely understand. That's not my main issue with it. My main issue was with the conflicting messages. Well, the conflicting tr- the, the, the conflicting stories of 
I, I, I really absolutely hated the fact that Ellie and Abby kill hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. And and I that by itself, no problem. Whatever. I play violent games. I'm I'm not a I'm not a person who's like, oh, it's violent. I I go for violent games. I like them. It's thing. But then killing Abby killing Ellie when right after Abby uh, right after Ellie kills Mel and Owen Abby can't kill Ellie. Why? Yeah. Because Lev is there. Lev is equally kills as many people as Abby. Um like he he kills a whole bunch of people. Lev is actually one of my favorite characters of this game. Mm-hmm. I just need to accentuate that. He's probably the only one in this game who I'm like, yep, he's got his head on straight. I get him. Um, but then, like, like they kill all these people, and then Ellie goes and kills even more people mm-hmm. and then can't kill Abby. And it's like, well, what was the point of all of this? You've, you've, you've killed 300 people. There's, like, a whole rampage behind you. You can't kill this one. Like exactly. th- there's a moral dilemma of you killing her. I I, mm. I don't quite understand that. And like saying it's oh it's because it's a personal revenge. It's actually taking out revenge. You just killed a whole bunch of people to get to her. Like those people were casualties of your revenge too. But like just the the, the top of the pyramid's bad. So like exactly that I didn't I couldn't grapple with that at all. Like, mm. that was very weird for me. Um, the other thing is that I, I, I think everyone comes out, out and throws, no, you're a bigot, no, you're a homophobe. Um, as we've discussed it before in this show, I'm uh, bisexual, I'm in the LGBT, very proud of that fact. Um, I also, like, study tropes, especially LGBT tropes, because I find them a bit mm-hmm. ridiculous. Because I'm not, again, you summed it up perfectly, Phil, when you're like, people um, suck the farts and say it's great. Um, People (laughs) do that within the LGBT community. Like any kind of tiny little bit of representation you get, everyone's like, oh, my God, that's, wow, that's so impressive. That's amazing. That's great. Um, And Even if the quality's not there. I, well, yeah, and I expressed my opinion about this about the first game. That, I mean, it's great that Ellie's a lesbian. Great. But the fact that it got revealed in the Left Behind, Left Behind game, which was like the, the plus game, instead of getting announced in the main game, felt like a mm. bit of a, oh, look how progressive we are. And that kind of irked me. And again, I, I really want good representation in the gay LGBT community, everything. But... I want it to be good representation. Um, mm-hmm. And and everyone says about this game that Dina and Ellie are great representation, but... I don't think so. I don't think so. Firstly, they fill this one trope that I absolutely hate. Like, if, if I could murder a trope the way that Ellie murders everyone except for Abby, mm-hmm. it would be the trope of um, two lesbians get together, one lesbian is pregnant. Uh, no, sorry. A lesbian gets together with a bisexual girl. That's the very specific quote. 
A lesbian gets together with a bisexual girl or a girl who's just <laughs> discovering she's gay. The girl who's bisexual just discovering she's gay is pregnant and her yeah. baby daddy is either dead, dying, or abusive. Those are the three. So basically, insta-family. Yeah, insta-family. It's an instant family trope. And it's, it kind of plays into the whole thing of what does a lesbian bring on the second date, a U-Haul? Um, not only does yeah. this lesbian bring a U-Haul, <laughs> she brings her <laughs> child from her ex-marriage. And that's when, as soon as I, as soon as I knew Jesse was a good guy mm-hmm. and Dana was pregnant, I'm like, oh, he dead. Like I knew he was going to show up somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I kind of thought they might go back to Jackson. Like I didn't know he was going to actually show up in, in Seattle. I kind of thought they might mm. go back to Jackson and the consequence of them going because I, I legitimately thought they were going to kill Abby. But, like, I thought maybe the consequence of them Everyone did. going to Seattle was going to be, like, oh, there was an attack back in Jackson and you weren't there to, like, Tommy, Ellie, yeah. and Dana, three of the best, you know, people in the fighters. Because they, they are advertised as, like, some of the best fighters in the game uh, in the mm. in Jackson. They weren't there, so all these people died. You know, you could have helped, you abandoned us kind of thing. I genuinely thought that's what was going to happen. I thought that's the trope we were going for. And Jesse was going to die that way. But no, no, Abby killed Jesse and Ellie still didn't kill Abby. He was a genuinely good guy. He wasn't even like Joel. Like he had lived his life in Jackson and grown up being a genuinely good guy and not being. Yeah. Like, really? Um, So, and he wasn't even like Owen who bloody was a part of the Fireflies who, let's be real, were the real villains. And the fact that the Fireflies were the real villains was never, like, the fi- in... They even talk about it in, like, one of the games where um, Nolan North and Troy Baker play mm. Last of Us, go through the first game. Mm-hmm. They talk about how the fact that Tess was originally supposed to be the real villain, but mm. then they flipped it and turned, and Mara was supposed to be, like, the hero. Wait, was it Mara? What's her name again? Marlene. Marlene. There we go. <laughs> Mara's from a different show. Um, Marlene was supposed to be, like, the hero and, like, the hopeful one, and then they flipped it at the last minute and decided that the Fireflies were going to be the real villains, and they say it, that the Fireflies were going to be the villains. Then they just fucking pull that, throw that under the rug, pretend like that never happened. Pretend like the fact that you you actually had the choice not to kill the surgeon at the end. Like that was an active choice that you could make, which I didn't. Then that's, then, no, it's not an active choice because he, he lunges at you and then the, the game does it for you anyway. No, I never killed the surgeon. <laughs> what, in he the gets first killed. Game? In the first game, yeah. In the actual first game, I never killed the surgeon. I didn't know you could shoot in that operating theater. I just I just did it without thinking. No, no, I, I I just walked in, and if you walk in and you don't shoot him, he threatens you with the scalpel, and you kind of just shove him away, and he falls against the <laughs> he falls against the cupboard, and then you just grab Ellie, and everyone else is just like, because you're holding a massive gun, they don't really chase you. Mm, it's great. He lands on his own knife. I I think he kills himself or something if you don't yeah. kill him if you don't kill him he but, kills himself yeah. no no that's what happens if you don't kill him 
as you walk over to Ellie, the door flings open behind you and they're trying to shoot at you and they shoot the surgeon instead. Oh. Well, there you go. Sorry, well, they, I forgot well, that. No, well, but Bianca, you need to realize none of that's none of that matters because it's all Joel's fault. Joel's the reason that the guy's dead, regardless of if you did it or not. That's your fault, and Abby believes it's your fault. True, but going back to the LGBT representation, which is what everyone's like harping on about, which is mm. truly annoying for me. It doesn't matter to me if there is LGBT representation representation if the story is shit, and I find Dina and Ellie's story shit. I find their relationship contrived like it just comes it comes out of nowhere to the point where you don't see how they hooked up until the end of the uh, end of the game so just that there but the entire development phase for them we don't see because it happens at the time where they're heading to seattle now so it's not i don't care about it i don't care about the relationship not because they're lesbians because i don't care about it if they had started the game saying that dina and ellie had been in a relationship for how many years and then showed yeah, showed the flashback of in one of the flashbacks showed Ellie and Dina together. I would mm. have been more like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like it's a girlfriend, whatever. But it just came out of the nowhere. Like it, it, we didn't get to see any of it. It's a brand new relationship. We saw none of it happen. We were just flung with this character who I genuinely didn't like because I found her a bit useless. She wasn't doing anything. Dina is a weak side character. One of, in fact, Dina is the weakest side character the Last of Us has ever given us. The the conversations weren't very interesting. I think the, the I think the only conversation I actually found interesting was the one that was in the temple because it was explaining religion and the fact that this game then mm. dealt with the Seraphites, but. And I'll get back to that. So actually, that's important. The Seraphites, because that also shit me. But then back to the thing. The other representation in this game was Lev, who is a trans mm-hmm. character. Who I'm not trans, so I can't really talk about it. But a lot of the trans community have come out and said we hate it, uh, which is yep. completely fair because Lev is the only character in the game. So the the. the the world of Last of Us is very violent and very graphic and everyone's in constant danger from mm-hmm. things that are a consequence of the zombie apocalypse. And I keep saying zombies instead of cordyceps, but yeah. So like the 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 assholes who like are cannibals, they they become who they are because of a consequence of the situation they're in the world they're in the problem that the trans community that i've seen a lot of people talk about is that this is the first time in the game where lev being kicked out of his home being all of that that's a consequence of the old world of the demet like of what's going on now that's an issue he's the only person in the game who and like they briefly you know someone calls Ellie and Dina Dykes, but it's a bit different because they're adults and it's not, they weren't abused. Lev gets beaten up by his mother. Like we don't, we didn't mention it, but the fact that when they Mm. go to find Lev in the camp, he's being Mm -hmm. tortured by his own mother for being trans. Mm. Um, He's had to run away from his village. His sister's gotten his hat, her hand smashed because he's trans. Um, all of these consequences and it's really violent. And the other thing that the trans community don't like about it, and I'm just I'm I'm just reading like 
a bunch of people complaining about it. I was reading about it. Um, they, and I, I didn't even realize it until I read it. They don't ever talk about Lev from Lev's perspective. Lev only talks about being trans once. And he just is talking about how he doesn't mm-hmm. want to be called Lily, which is yeah. his previous name. That's the only time. And he doesn't really want to talk about how he shaved his head or any of it. He doesn't try to talk about it. He just mentions that it happened and leaves it at that. Um, In fact, there's a conversation that they actually ask. Um, Abby says, do you want me to... Uh, sorry, Lev says, did you hear what they called me? And Abby says, yes. And um, Lev says, do you want to talk about it? And then Ellie was like, sorry, Abby was like, do you want me to ask you about it? And Lev said no. Yeah, he did. He said no. And every time you find out anything about Lev's story beyond that, you find Mm. out, and this was what the trans community was saying, you find out uh, from two cisgendered people who don't understand. You find out through uh, Abby and uh, Yara. Mm. Yeah, Yara talking. Like, that's the only time you find out about anything. And it's how Yara talks about how it affected her. Doesn't talk about Lev. And then all of a sudden, the next time you see Lev, because that's when Lev runs away, the next time you see Lev, he's being beaten up by, by his mother. And it was all very violent and thing. And he's the only one who gets affected by that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And they were all talking about how they didn't like it because they didn't think it was positive representation. Again, this is not everyone, but it's the point that not everyone who hates this game is a bigot. Some of them are just annoyed and frustrated, like myself mm. and some people of the trans community. Um, back Justifiably. To the, yeah. And back to the Seraphite and WLF war. That... Mm. Uh, how do I and like explain my frustration at that inappropriately? That was the most interesting part of the game. The mm. the letters between uh, like there's a bunch of letters and I can't remember his name of this guy who's Ellie finds them and it's this guy who's slowly becoming a seraphite. He was a W. The guy sending the letters to Jules. Yeah, the guy sending the letters to Jules. He changes his name. He he realizes that he wants to be a seraphite. Um, then there's, like, other letters. Still not as good as Ish, though. Pardon? First game. Still not as good as Ish and his letters from the first game. Still not as good, but, like, it it gave this... Then there's the, the letters of how the WLF started. Um, that that's in the suburbs, Ellie also mm-hmm. finds. Um, they talk about how the WLF, uh, started because they were, like all the other cities, were trying to revolt from the government... Uh, being too controlling, but then the WLF became too controlling, so they tried to revolt again, and it turned neighbor against neighbor. And that's actually also how the Seraphite started, because one of the neighbors, the woman, I can't remember, I don't even think we know her name. Maybe we do. I, don't uh, know. I think we read it somewhere on a, new, a newspaper clipping in the subway. Yeah, she then stood up to them, and like it was a big deal. She became a martyr when the WLF killed her. Um, This started a war between them. Then they decided to come to a truce. You stay on your side of the fence, I stay on mine. It got stopped by some little kid. Like a bunch of kids were throwing rocks and then um, the WLF shot them. 
what I find really interesting about that is that's um, kind of how the Palestinian-Israeli thing started, which I don't mm. know if that was intentional. I mean, it's not exactly how it started, but it's how a lot of their their fights actually start. Kids throw... Oh, there's, there's, there's similarities and definitely that that's what was drawn upon for this. Yeah, but I, no one ever mentions it at all in any of the reviews I've found, and I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. Um, but, like, this is the backdrop of this giant war and we don't really get to participate in any of it. Mm. It's it's just a backdrop, which is a very massive trope of revenge tragedies. Um, yeah. The fact that it's on a backdrop of something very chaotic and crazy um, I'm assuming that this war is what it is. But it, it was just so disappointing to me that we never got to, even if we got to fight as Abby against the um, Seraphites or we got to, I actually would have loved to see Ellie um, team up with someone to try and, like, I don't know. I think that it was just such a wasted wasted it it it's like someone painted the most prettiest landscape in the world and then mm. they were just like we're just gonna put that like they, they designed this amazing in-game landscape and they're like you know what we're gonna do we're gonna just take a snapshot of that we're gonna put it in a photo frame and we're gonna put it on the back wall of this really shitty white room that has no yeah. depth and no detail i'm like absolutely that- i get it i totally get it and I was just waiting constantly to be drawn into this war. And then we played from Abby's perspective and I was like, okay, now we're going to get onto this war. We got into a little bit. We barely touched the surface where we got to, mm. we got ambushed and then we got to see where they were torturing people. And I really don't think Lev and Yara had anything to do with the war. They were escaping for completely different reasons. So that doesn't yeah. count. There was no men- there's no reason to mention it at all because we had no in- no active <clears throat> involvement in it whatsoever. Exactly, and then we found it was all out- just consequential. Yeah, and then coincidence. You know what would have been brilliant, like, and just like made me actually appreciate Abby a bit more, mm. and give her because it would have given her a flaw. Like Lev shows her all the secret sky ladders or whatever sky bridges that the Seraphites used to get around the city, if she had used that and been like to Isaac, because then we could have seen him again, and apologised to him for betraying him and being like, but I found out about these sky bridges. And then you see the consequence of like Lev seeing his people die. Like that would have been a brilliant thing to play out. But we don't, but of course, but... Bianca, you're mistaking this game for something that would be brilliant. This game doesn't have any redeeming qualities about it besides the graphics and the gameplay. There is nothing else that that, that is redeeming. The story is not a clever story from any angle. They had seven years to come up with something decent and but um, it annoys me fleshed out, and it's not. It, it genuinely annoys me because there's so much there that could have been done. There's, there's, yeah. there's all That's why it the bare bones of this amazing, in-depth, beautiful story. There's, like, the structure. Mm. It's all there. They did not lay it out correctly. 
They No, it's all weak. They did not expand on the right the things that they should have expanded on, they just kind of left drift. And the mm. things that they really got into the nitty gritty of, like, I don't even know, like, uh, like, like how Ellie felt about Dana's pregnancy. I don't give a fuck. Like, exactly. They got into the, they they went to the details of the wrong parts. Yeah. Like, so Bianca, then, I ask you, <coughs> what do you give it for the story out of ten? I have to give it. I'm, I'm going to give it a one because again, there's the okay. bare bones. There's the structure there. There's something. In the midst of all that, I don't know what it is yet, and it's mm-hmm. it's annoying because I just feel like I I got to the top of a roller coaster. I thought I was about to fall and have all the excitement, and then it just went flat. <laughs> it just leveled out. Yeah, leveled out. Uh, for gameplay and graphics, each one a ten out of ten. I I greatly enjoyed. Each. Uh, graphics were brilliant, actually. Like the the Seattle backdrop was amazing. Um, I saw some photos online of people comparing the backdrop to photos of actual places in Seattle. And it was mm. terrifyingly accurate and beautiful. And I greatly appreciate that. Um, I really, I, I did enjoy the gameplay. I, I I didn't enjoy killing dogs. That was not my favorite thing, but I liked the, no. uh, the fact the that mechanics it, of it. the mechanics of it and the fact that it was hard. It was like, it was like a real struggle. Like if you got jumped by a dog, in the game, it wasn't like a quick little thing that you could do to get out of it. No. Um, and then it triggered everyone around you. And um, Abby's gameplay was brilliant. I, I think it was like better than any other game I've played. She was just such an easy character to play. Well, well, on that then, <clears throat> it looks like you're giving the game a six out of ten. Which again. <clears throat> Nice and low down. That's what I like to see. Drew, do you want to have a view on the score, or you? Um, look, I let yourself finish it. Well, this is where it's tricky because I, I will finish it, but <clears throat> in case it wasn't blatantly obvious, I'm not flying through it like the first one, and that mm. does lead into my very brief opinions on on the very brief amount that I've already played, and that is that this game lacks so much in story compared to its predecessor that it's not doing the one thing that the first game did so damn well and that was to keep me on the edge of my seat gripped to the game not wanting to turn off the console yeah that was the one thing that i went on and on and on about to you guys was that i couldn't put the damn game down and i'm not feeling that connection here i'm not feeling emotionally connected to it i have no problem that joel dies i have a problem with him dying in the at the time that he does because it doesn't serve the story correctly it's not a sacrifice it doesn't further the plot in a direction that takes it into new and bold areas i think they think it does but all they're doing no, they is definitely falling. Do <laughs> they're just falling into a terrible trope. It makes the first game feel inconsequential. It makes me feel cheated. And it makes me feel as if you guys must be... I get why you're mad. I absolutely get why you're mad. Because if I had waited years to just have everything <clears throat> trashed like that... I would well, be fuming. 
Well, it's Game of Thrones season eight, isn't it? You know, well, it's that we all waited for so long, and then that's what we got. Well, yeah, and and there there are things about this this game that I am absolutely loving, and that particularly the graphics. I I can't get enough of it. I can't deal with mm-hmm. how spectacular the imagery is. The I, I've told you, I, I keep running into trees just to see the snow fall off it. I I can't mm. get over how brilliant yeah. that is, <clears throat> and I'm very confused as to how on earth they'll top that when they remaster it up to the ps5 yeah Uh, just a quick note on the snowfall just very quickly because you mentioned it and i wasn't going to mention it um there was a really funny thing that happened with the snowfall is that the snow was actually pretty fucked up up until a few weeks before the first launch for february yeah um and they posted an image of gameplay during the snow uh, not image, like a video, sorry, of gameplay yeah. during the snow onto Twitter. And what was happening was every time, like, because it was of Ellie was stepping anywhere, it would kind of, like, rather than just, like, crunch underneath her foot or on her body when she was lying down, it would crunch out in a square around her. Ooh. And everyone was like, you've wasted, you've, you've, I think this was after another delay. And everyone's like, yeah. you've delayed this game again. I'm like, it's not a big deal, but like, why wouldn't you just fix the snow if you've done this so many times? And then mm. it was kind of funny because then, then the game got delayed again. And when you actually play the snow now, it's fine. Like there's no weird square like crunching. And I'm like, that it like, it's such a tiny minute detail, but it's quite hilarious. But it's a detail that couldn't, that couldn't be missed. And Drew, just before we get back yeah. to you, yeah. the other point was the ice. I love seeing the ice crunch under the, the, the horse's foot yes. or the horse's hoof. Um, again, it's the tiny details of it. And this game had the details. That's why, why the world was so amazing and beautiful. Yeah. Anyway, Drew, back to you. Continue. Well, I, look, there's, there's a lot that I'm loving, but it's all visual. It's, it's all fluff. And it, it just feels like a waste when it's held mm. against a story that I'm not enjoying, I'm not connecting with, and I, I'm not motivated to rush through the game. I'm obviously I've got life things going on that are also mm-hmm. slowing me down, but I don't feel like with the precious little time I've got that I want to use it to play it. It it yeah. doesn't warrant it to me. It doesn't rank highly enough for me to want to keep pushing I, I will for the sake of giving a final review but that may not be for some time and that's fine yeah but look it, it is it, what it's it is it's funny you say that because i was completely expecting to finish it in like a day and a bit it took me forever to finish the game yeah this game was too it, long it took us honestly. like two weeks yeah 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 this game was too long. I mean, if you look at something like Red Dead Redemption 2, which is a long game, that game kept me engrossed the entire way through, and I loved every minute of it, and I didn't want the story to end. This one, I wanted the story to end very quickly, and it just went on and on and on and on. It, um, there was a part where it genuinely felt like the um, ending of Lord of the Rings. I remember... Yeah, it kept ending. So <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing that in cinema, and like people just standing up to leave... And then it continues, <laughs> like, because I mean, the screen blanked. I thought it finished at, I, I knew that there was going to be Abby's story. So when it. Oh, when it did, though, I was like, no, you can't do it now. Like, it's too far in. Well, like, yeah, no, on. I thought that was confusing. So, like, when it finished Ellie's story and then Abby raised the gun, I was like, are we going to do the boss fight 
now because I knew that I, I was like, that's got to mm. come, that we're, we're up to the boss fight part. And then it just stopped and cut short and it was like. And went all over again. Yeah, and it, it um, didn't feel normal. And then it did it again at the end of Abby's thing. And again, it didn't feel normal. And then I was waiting for it to happen again at the end of Ellie's. And it kind of did because then she goes back to mm. the farm and it was just like, eh, I don't um, care now. <laughs> I think much like the second game, we've gone on about it far too long now. So I think we should move on very quickly to Chadwick Boseman, um, who died earlier in the week, last yeah. week, early in the week. Yes. Um, the star from Black Panther, um, Black Panther, 42, a film that, uh, 42, a film, a Black Panther film I'm not particularly thrilled with but i know what it represents and in some ways that's why i'm disappointed by it um in what it represents because i didn't think it was as good as it could have been in what it represents but um he was very much a figurehead for um black people and basically being able to have a go and get a go in the industry i hate that i just quoted scott morrison there but um <laughs> you know he, he was a great rep representation of that um it turns out he'd been dealing with colon cancer for a very long time yeah. and it was an absolute shock to everyone when he died in fact a lot of people thought it was a hoax um but i think in the most in fact a lot of people thought it was a hoax because it hadn't come from something like tmz for example and it had in fact come from his family directly but i think that that was probably the way it should have been and the way it should be when something like this happens that it does come from the family and not some gossip magazine where there could be some doubt behind it yeah. um but yeah, he, he died. I don't know if you two want to have or say something about it. Obviously, you know more about him and his life than, than I do. Um, yeah, what, what do you have? What do, what do you think? Uh, so um, he had... Oh, okay. No, no, I was no, just going to no. say he had colon cancer for the last uh, three, four years. Sorry. Um, yeah. He had it while he was shooting both the Avengers game and uh, Infinity Wars and Endgame. Um, no <laughs> one knew. No one at Disney knew. None of his co-stars knew. Um, none of his co-stars knew in Five the Bloods either, I think the it's called. Bloods. The, the Five Bloods, sorry, I, I'm dyslexic, I read that backwards. The Five Bloods, um, none of them knew either. Uh, Clark Peters, who is his co-star in that movie, was talking about how he was explaining to his wife, it was it's actually quite a tragic video, talking mm. about how he uh, was talking to his wife. His wife asked, well, what's he like? And he thought he was a bit stuck up because he had mm. um, his wife was constantly holding his hand. His wife was on set with him all the time. He mm. had a Chinese masseuse and like therapist, a herbal therapist on set with him. He had a doctor with him all the time, like giving him massages. Um, he thought he was just a bit precious. He didn't realize and no one realized that he was actually fighting cancer. Mm. Um he hasn't he hadn't told any of his execs he hadn't told any of the directors spike lee didn't know um no Kevin one at Feige disney didn't know yeah no one at disney knew yeah. um yeah like it 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 took everyone by surprise um which is again probably why everyone thought it was a hoax because it was like he what was he even sick but then it started to make sense, like, he was putting up uh, videos about all the Black Lives Matter stuff and he was lost a significant amount of weight. Um, mm. And it was just must be because he had been really ill in the last couple of weeks and months and stuff, uh, which is quite 
sad because he, from everything that I've read about him in the last week, apparently a really decent guy. Um, and yeah, it's quite a shame. And colon cancer is really terrible. It's actually one of the really hard, like it's one of the ones that it's really hard to pick up. And once you do, it's usually too late in the game. So get your columns checked, people. Yeah. Mm. True. I'd um, I'd read that apparently he was still, he still believed he was going to beat it right up until a couple of days beforehand or about a week before. He still felt like he was going to conquer it and then it just turned very rapidly and they they realized there was no stopping it and they'd called kevin feige in the middle of the night and by the time feige called them back he'd gone wait there was the turnaround was just insane they yeah i it's a funny thing. I respect the fact that he wanted to keep it private. I think that that's fantastic that someone could keep something quiet in that world. And he had every right to. But it is very sad. And I don't know about you guys, but I've seen him in other in other performances in other films. And he really was excellent. And regardless of any of our feeling on Black Panther as a movie, I think his performance was fantastic. And I, I see why he was I liked him as a Black figure Panther. that inspired. Yeah, I, mm. I do too. I, I think he's a very good actor and he played the role very well. And I, I get it's what he represented as well. He did rep- represent so much. He was such a, um, yeah. a figurehead and but he, you know, a superhero. But he, community. but he walked the walk. That's what I, I liked about him. You, you never heard a bad word about him in the press. You, mm. you, you barely heard a word about him in the press, but when you did, it was always something good. And mm. I liked that. I, I always liked that he just, he felt like the, this journeyman actor that was just quietly working away behind the scenes to try and make the world a little bit better in whatever way he could. I always thought that was a really cool thing. So yeah, I, he will be very much missed by many, I think, many people. I think then it goes without saying that he is our sick Kent of the week. Don't even need to discuss it or mention it. He is just absolutely our sick Kent of the week. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well done. Congratulations. And rest I'm in sure peace, sir. Yeah, and rest Indeed. in peace. Godspeed. Um, we do have a what the quote as well. Um, it is one that was we actually mentioned it at some point throughout last week's episode. Um, I'm not going to tell you what about or or why we referenced it, but the quote goes a little something like this. Oh wait, last goes, week's quote was. Oh yeah, what was last week's quote? La- <laughs> Sorry, last week's quote was uh, from Uncharted Two: Among Thieves, and it was yeah, good luck, pal. That's almost impossible to. Oh, you did it. Um, and it was Nathan Drake to Tenzin, Tenzin about the rope. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and this week is... <laughs> this week's one is... No, sir, I was just trying to think of the actor who played Tenzin. Not the voice actor, but Robert Akin Downs played um, uh, Tenzin. And I think you should definitely go and watch the um, retro replay 
playthrough of all three of the Uncharted games and of The Last of Us, despite the fact that The Last of Us has, well, all of them have Troy Baker on there, who's probably one of the most stuck-up voice actors in the industry or actors in the industry. Um, and he very much loves the first, uh, the second game, despite the fact as Joel, as in The Last of Us Part Two, despite the fact as Joel, he made very little appearance. Um, yeah, but he's totally in love with himself. I have a lot of less respect for him, not as a result of this game, but the way that he's responded to the game. Anyway, unlike Ashley Johnson, who played Ellie, who said very little about the game, because she probably knows it's probably not as much of a masterpiece as the first one. I also just anyway, want to add quickly that all the people who, like, fucking have been tearing apart the voice and body actor for Abby, mm-hmm. pieces of shit. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, you're all yep, pieces of shit. Yourself. That's not the point of this. No, no, it's no. not. the. It, ne- never go after. Besides Troy Baker, who is a dickhead and a dipshit, don't go after the voice actors or the actors. They, they're not in charge of it. Go after people like Neil Druckmann. Not with death threats, because that's completely counterintuitive. And in fact, you're taking away from the people that have real criticisms and you're just being a piece of shit and making it worse for us and being a piece of shit. Don't mm. do that. Respond properly, but go after the right people. No, yeah. anyway. <laughs> um... Uh, yes, this week's quote is, um, there was a sequel, wasn't as good. <laughs> let, let us know what that's from, um, if you can remember it from last week, why we were referencing that, um, in our discussion about The Last of Us Part 2, we mentioned this quote in, in, um, the discussion, so if you know what it's from, let us know, reach out to us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, carry pigeon who knows smoke signals whatever um just before we go though yes it has been three years of doing the podcast i can still remember drew i don't know if you can doing that very first one when we were on skype yep um <laughs> and uh that was just chaotic i think we recorded it on a tuesday night or a wednesday night for a thursday release because thursday was our day back then yep. um and uh we were like oh look this is gonna be easy because we can just do this whenever we want to we can pre-record like months and months in advance and do like shitloads <laughs> of them in a single day i think we struggle to do that i think the few times where we've had to pre-record oh. we've been setting out to be like do like eight and we do about three so i it's, remember it's not as easy as- i remember listening to that episode and it was about what if coke was currency and then you and i met up for lunch after we abate a few days later and i was like I was just yelling at the podcast the entire time because I wanted to tell you how <laughs> stupid some of the things you guys were saying were. And I was just like, oh, no. And now Coca-Cola I'm on. Currency, Coca-Cola. Yeah, now you're on it. But Coca-Cola <laughs> currency is, I think, a very plausible thing in the future. I think, if, if, I think we should have the Coca-Cola as currency discussion again. Well, then I think in the coming weeks we should do that. Maybe some flashback things where we'll take topics from earlier episodes and bring them back to life and have another crack at them with a little bit less um, informity, as always. Um <laughs> Uh, yes, but no, three years, Drew. Thank three you so much for, for, for doing this with me for three years, thank, for bringing me on thank, the show. It wasn't my idea. I wasn't a part of it in the beginning. No. I got um, asked in passing at lunch once. Oh, my um, God. And I, I remember the day we were sitting at the table and I saw you sitting over there. I was like, oh, my God, the answer. Like, I just looked at you. I'm like, there we go. That's that's our missing piece. And we just grabbed you there and then, and we're like, "Hey, sir, you interested?" And and here, of course, I was interested, and here I am, still interested and loving it always. Oh, it's man. the Kenton the Steering Team podcast with Drew, Phil, and Bianca. Thank you, everyone, for for listening to another three years and many more. Yeah.